Hello, and welcome to the third JewishBoston.com podcast. We're excited to be back. I am Jen, and this is my co-host, Jesse. Say hello. Hello. Yay. So we're excited to be back with everybody. We have a really cool episode coming up. We're talking with our pal, Dan Broskel from Prosdor. He's the director at Prosdor over at Hebrew College. We talk with him everything from Jewish education, the future of Jewish life, I guess, and um, sports, because we all like sports. We do like sports. We hope you've all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know Thanksgiving was just yesterday, or depending on when you're listening to this, a few days. Um, I know both Jesse and I had some exciting plans. What did you do for Thanksgiving, Jesse? Well, uh, Thanksgiving also falls right around uh, Michelle's birthday. Michelle, my wife. Who is Michelle? Okay. Michelle (laughs) Franchini, who is my wife. (laughs) And so we went up to Portland, Maine for the weekend. Oh, fun. And just sort of relax after our... Costa Rican jaunt we, we got back from. I've been busy this month. You're going um, on all of these vacations. Yes. And so, yeah, we just uh, sort of relaxed and, you know, went on like a, a day trip. And it was it was very nice. That's lovely. It's it's weird how much colder it gets the more north you go here. Like, it, you, you would think it would stay vaguely around the same temperature, but it's never true. Never true. Well, how I went you? somewhere cold as well. Um, I spent Thanksgiving with my family in Minneapolis. And so up there in Minneapolis? Up there. Up that joke will be funny later. <laughs> up there, over there. Uh, yes. It was very wonderful. It was lovely having just the five of us together uh, Thanksgiving at my little brother's apartment, which is so strange for that fact that he's like able to host us now. We're all adults. Is there a futon? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, no, no. There's just a couch. Okay. We all stay. stay. Out there, uh, but it was a lovely Thanksgiving. It was so wonderful. I mean, I love Thanksgiving food. I'm not a turkey eater. I'm not a vegetarian, but I also don't eat a lot of meat. So turkey isn't like my favorite food. So there's always a ton of sides at our Thanksgiving meals. We have so much food, and it's like stuffing made in the turkey and stuffing made out of the turkey. My mm. mom makes me my own like special stuffing batch because. Nice diva i don't know and then i i think my favorite thanksgiving food is this we call it carrot stuff which is like the super classy term um it's actually carrot souffle sounds disgusting it looks bright orange but it is so delicious and we only eat it like in the fall so i get so excited every year when i'm getting carrot stuff and i was in charge of making the pies this year it's really exciting do you have a favorite thanksgiving food um i mean i like stuffing stuffing's delicious just all the stuffing yeah i used to just eat like the the rolls that whatever thanksgiving uh buttered party rolls buttered rolls are delicious i'm not a as far as sandwiches go i usually eat like turkey as like a sandwich meat but like the big turkey i've never been like a huge fan of i also and this will be an interesting test for our listeners you can email me if you want to hear the full story but i have major issues with thanksgiving turkeys and how they're produced and how they live their lives oh, it's goodness. very depressing we're not going to talk about it here but if you want to hear about it email us at podcast at jewishboston.com it'll make you angry oh no yes the factory of them yeah it's just really sad. There, there, there's hormones involved and, okay <laughs> anyway I'm sorry i'm sorry i didn't mean to rile you up free thanksgiving turkeys <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, Thanksgiving turkeys aren't my favorite. They actually kind of terrify me. I remember once as a child, sorry, mom, um, but I'm calling you out here. My mom forgot to take, like, the innards Ooh. of the turkey out because, like, it comes in that little bag of, like, the liver and the heart or whatever. And she, like, cooked. I I was so freaked out. I was probably in middle school and being, like, a squeamish girl, and I would not look at Thanksgiving dinner. I was so disgusted. My brothers thought it was hilarious to, like, mock me. 
Of course, they're boys, and they were innards, so. Mm-hmm. I was not into that Thanksgiving. But this Thanksgiving, much better. We didn't forget innards inside the turkey. So success there. That sounds like quite a story. <laughs> it um, was. Well, I hope, I hope you all uh, listening had a wonderful Thanksgiving and that you have a wonderful Hanukkah that's coming up very soon. Oh my gosh, it's coming up so soon and next week. We would love to hear about some Hanukkah events happening in the city. We know of a um, a handful of things, but if you guys have any suggestions on your favorite Hanukkah events, we'd love to hear about it. Check out JewishBoston.com. We're having a uh, latka competition on Facebook. Oh my gosh, seriously? Yes. My latkas are the best latkas. If you go to our Facebook fan page, there is a little tab you can click on latka and you take a picture and like tell us what your secret is, and then people are going to vote on it, and the winner get there's two prizes we're handing out. So That's so cool. Remember a couple years ago when it was Thanksgivinga? I do. And that was all blurred together, but this year separate, separate holidays. That's true. <laughs> it's always hard to predict when Hanukkah is going to be because you never really check to look until like you know Novemberish. You're right. like, oh, it's it's early. Yeah, it's early. Really. It'll be great. It'll be so much fun. Again, from our last episode, you heard from Laura Mandel talking about Eight Nights, Eight Windows and the public art project across the city. So that's definitely something to still check out yeah. for um, an awesome Hanukkah experience. So if you, if you hope wanna, to see you yeah. there. If you want to meet us live in person, we'll probably both be there. So. We will both be there on the, is it the 8th? Is that December 8th, yes. Yeah, that, that Wednesday at the MFA. So we're really excited. Okay. On to our conversation with Dan Braskell. We're really excited. All right. Enjoy. To the theme music. We are here with Dan Broskel, the director of ProStore at Hebrew College. He's laughing at me right now because I can't pronounce his name correctly, but I did it that time. Did I nail it? Perfect. She nailed it. Beautiful. Well, welcome, Dan. We're excited to have you here. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about um, your role at ProStore right now? We'll get the boring stuff out of the way. Is that the boring stuff? Uh, Yeah. I mean, work's boring. (laughs) So I'm the director of ProStore. ProStore is the... uh, for lack of a better term, youth department of Hebrew College. So we engage kids who are really between the ages of uh, 12 and 18 in any number of in-person and virtual learning experiences, including travel and volunteerism and philanthropy. So, you know, we engage with about 500, you know, unique participants each year, which is uh, exciting and challenging and uh, generally fun. That's really cool. So is it like a part-time program or there are full-time opportunities great question so no not a day school so the bulk of our kids come on sunday mornings um you know for two or four hours we offer a series of midweek experiences also and then you know part-time we have monthly programs on philanthropy we have virtual learning we have travel programs and um a few other things that we're working on um but uh working with kids is great and it gets me to israel fairly frequently and that's awesome uh, you know so far and i've been in hebrew college for 14 years so incredible long, long time with others sort of gigs interspersed. Right. How many times have you been to Israel now? I've been to Israel 20 times. Wow. Oh my last goodness. month of my 20th arrival in Israel, which is exciting. So that I've, is really exciting. So I'm probably not going in February, but if I did, it would be my fourth trip in uh, in, in 12 months. And that's a little bit much um, on the home front to, <laughs> right. to, try, to get, try to get away with, <laughs> yeah. although I do certainly enjoy the uh, the privilege of going and uh, it's yes. always wonderful. Yeah. I've been once, so. I've been once as well. well going time, again in December. Time so. to go back. Yeah. Time to go back. It's definitely a cool experience. Awesome. Well, so I think the first topic we want to talk about is sort of since you deal with kids, teenagers, I assume they want to be called teenagers, not kids. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to be considered a kid. I mean, teens though. are like, oh, are we teens? Are we youth? I mean, they're both kind of insufficient. You know, they're just like, you know, we're cool. It's true. They're there. It's true. Well, you, you never like <laughs> decide one day. You're like, well, no, like I'm now, I'm no longer a teen. Now I'm an adult. It's just, you know, you go to college and then you don't care anymore. Right. What's like, called? Oh, no, I'm an adult now. What do I do? Right. Yeah. Sort of. Now it's like, w- when do I become 21? Hmm. Um, Would you ever want to go back to being a teenager? Oh, never. God, oh God, no. No? Never. Why? High school was great. No. Well, high high school was great. Middle school was not great. Middle school is the worst. Yeah, we just pretend middle school didn't happen. Yeah. I used to say that the driver's license was the delineation between, like, when things were awful and things were good. Yeah. But now I think, you know, know, pre when I met my wife and then post is sort of the delineation of, like, (laughs) what was was all right now? What's what's a lot better? There you go. Absolutely true. Isn't that sweet? Absolutely true story. (laughs) And now it's, like, no, before kids, after kids. But, you know, that's another delineation. (laughs) So, um... What I wanted to talk about was, since you deal with teens and sort of, you know, the future generation, um, American Jews are sort of very obsessed with the next generation. At one point, we were the next generation, and then we grew up, and they care less about us, it seems. Hmm. Have we really grown up yet? I don't know. I mean, two of us here are in our 30s, and we still act like children, so... <laughs> yeah, but I take care of children, too. That's true. So, Jesse, there we go. No, so listen to me. It's just you, Jesse. I, I have a cat. <laughs> I take care of my cat. Yeah, I think I, I still look at the world and engage with it in a very, you know, teenage fashion, despite my responsibilities, you know, for better or for worse. Um, but I mean, let's, let's be clear, this generation is very different, and I think even in between our two generations, there's uh, 20-somethings that are fundamentally different also. So times are changing, Judaism is changing, Jewish education is changing, um, absolutely. Okay. And rapidly, I think, and rapidly. Well, I'd be curious to hear about what you think, how you think education is changing. Because, again, I was going to Sunday in Hebrew school in the early 90s, so it was still sort of the way it had been for, you know, years. 40, 50 years. Sure. I mean, I enjoyed it because I'm weird and I like learning even when my teachers weren't good. I just enjoyed new knowledge. But a lot of people have negative Hebrew school and Sunday school experiences. So how do you, I'm guessing, use technology probably to make it a little bit more interactive and a little more fun? kids? Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, from my perspective, I mean, the best way to engage with the world and teens is just about relationships. I think teens respond to authenticity uh, and, and people and genuine interest in them, you know, and of course, technology and teaching and content, um, you know, but it's increasingly a challenge, I think, to, you know, to get kids to want to engage or to get families to want to engage. So I think, you know, the erosion of the synagogue-based model of, of Judaism and education is certainly happening. And then how do you convince a 14-year-old after Bar Mitzvah to say, let me re-up on Jewish education and commit to it again for another couple of years when the, you know, the, the looming prospect of high school and high school sports and college applications seems to be stressing them out at an earlier and earlier age. So it's right. a tough sell in the market to say, like, hey, there's room for Judaism in your very over-programmed, constantly networked lives, and what is the role for Judaism in Jewish education? And it's a question which, which synagogues and schools and federations certainly grapple with when it comes to how to get teens back on board to Judaism post, post-bar mitzvah. What have you seen kind of as like trends in this new generation of Jewish learning? Like what have you seen as the coolest things emerging that you really like to kind of implement at ProStore or just across mm-hmm. like Jewish education in general? Well, you know, I think, you know, the trend is certainly towards, you know, encouraging as much Judaism as possible. So we're certainly seeing a you know, strong push for day school enrollments for mm-hmm. camp, summer camping for Israel trips because the impact is certainly measurable. But with that being said, I mean, a small percentage of kids are going to do any of those three things. Camping is maybe 10%, day school is maybe 20%. Um, so you know, for the masses out there, you know, what, what, can we, what can we do to capture their kind of enthusiasm? 
And, um, you know, I think the, the days of, you know, the teens saying that Judaism, Jewish learning for Jewish learning's sake is worthwhile, they've kind of passed us by because there's so much competition for their time now. So I think what they're looking for is really specific skill building or value added propositions. So that means if I'm getting authentic mentorship, real leadership, real training and skills that I'm going to use in my life, they're going to say yes to that. That's why I think our philanthropy boards are working, why Hebrew language remains, I think, a core part of what we're doing and has a lot of kids coming for it. But, you know, a general like, hey, let's study liberal arts Judaism for teens, it's not really resonating because they want something that they can really see the, you know, return on investment with. And so do their parents. Right. Because their parents are balancing, am I going to pay for club soccer? Am I going to pay for Jewish education or dance or let my kid relax when they're not applying for college? And, um, you know, it's, it's a very crowded market and everyone's competing for the same number of Jewish teens. And right. we're just one, we're just another program. Yeah. So I know Prozor has been around for a while. 1926. But the idea of sort of centralizing, like moving from the, the synagogue model to a more like mm. one place for multiple synagogues and right. multiple communities seems to be a common now. Like it seems to be something that's growing. Well, I think there's certainly an, a, a circle that goes on between like, you know, we're going to do it ourselves. We're going to go to the community. We're going to do it ourselves. We're going to go to the community. And I think we're riding the slide back from, you know, Prozor as a central communal resource for, for conservative teens to where we're seeing more what can we do in-house in our synagogues and how can Prozor help support good education in the synagogues and this, whether it's in the Hebrew schools or with the teens outside of the Hebrew schools because, I mean, geography and time are real obstacles. So to get a kid to commit to really what ends up being a half day on Sunday to come in, again, it's challenging given their commitments and their very busy lives. Yeah, definitely. I know I had trouble committing to Sunday school too. Right, and as a parent of you know a kid who's in seventh grade, I, I mean, I, I get all the tensions of time and of cost and right. of, you know the, of the the pull of Jewish education above other interests, right? So what am I going to be promoting in my own house? Right. And what am I doing for the community? It's a really interesting question that I kind of sit at the nexus of. I mean, I can only imagine. I, we had to drive. It, our my temple growing up was twenty miles from my house, so we had to carpool on Wednesday nights to get everyone there. It's I can only <laughs> I can only imagine what people who live five miles away have to do now here in Boston because. The traffic is terrible. The traffic is terrible. It's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So Dan and I worked together in the same building for about a year and a half, and we had many fun conversations about sports. So we're going to transition to a little more, you know, I'd say a little more active topic. And uh, we're both big basketball fans, and the NBA season has been going for maybe two weeks now. I haven't really had a chance to check in as mm. I was in Costa Rica for a week. So, won't you Rough tell- life, Jesse. Yeah, rough I know. Life. Rough life for me. <laughs> so, tell me how the Boston Celtics are doing. Celtics are good. Uh, six and four. They have three wins in a row. They beat the Hawks at home, and they went on the road and beat the Thunder and the Rockets back-to-back. Mm. Uh, and, the, and those are good teams. So, I think... You know, I went. Uh, I do some stuff on, on local television about sports, and I was saying, oh, the Celts won't win 45 games. They're not, they don't have a superstar. Well, actually, they're very competitive, and you can look at them as sort of this year's Hawks, I think, is athletic and motivated, playing good defense. So I think there's upside, but, you know, once you win 48 games, will you win a first-round playoff matchup yeah. against somebody better? And I think maybe, but I know maybe not. But I would say they're certainly worth watching, and that, I think, is a little bit surprising. Is basketball your favorite sport to watch? Absolutely not. No? Actually, no. When I was a kid, I would mean, basketball was my first love. You know, if I said, you know, what, what do I watch the most of? Now I watch the most soccer, actually. It's a true story. Really? Yeah, I mean, other than football when it's well, football it's good, season. 
Soccer's getting big here in the States. Yeah. So. Well, huge, huge soccer fan. And for Jesse, I write, I write about it on Jewish Boston a fair amount in sort of the Israeli soccer, you know, leagues and players because I think it's very, you know, cultural, Zionistically interesting. How many teams are in Israel in terms of professional soccer leagues? Well, the top league has 14 teams. Oh, and, wow. Uh, and for Boston fans, uh, if you've read my stuff, of course, Maccabi Haifa is the, uh, the sister city's best team. And, of course, they are mired in second to last place because they're playing an awful Oh, awful, no. <laughs> awful brand of soccer, which is very painful. But if you go to my closet, I literally have about 12 years worth of green and white Maccabi Haifa jerseys, like wow. in order, which I'm like, why am I buying another one? But I mean, you're a fan. I, I, I you're dedicated. I kind of feel compelled to. It's a little bit ridiculous. It's okay. I mean, part of me wants to like soccer because one, the games are exactly 90 minutes long. No commercials. No commercials. They're they're constant. They're they're constantly moving. Yeah. Uh, the other part of me is like, I don't know enough about it to appreciate the not scoring aspects of soccer, and so it's a lot to me. It looks like a lot of passing and hand-waving and falling Important. down when you're not hit. There's certainly some drama. <laughs> but again, I challenge anyone to know to watch the Women's World Cup last summer and not get really excited That's about true. That, I, that, was, that I was exciting. Love and I think for very for very good reason because, um, you know, soccer is it's a, it's the most watched sport, you know, in the world. And I yeah. think we're a little behind the curve. And you can trace the growth of MLS and soccer viewership in this country for 20 years and really say it is working. And, uh, you know, tonight the U.S. men's national team plays a World Cup qualifier against Trinidad and Tobago. And it's going to be, I mean, well-watched. So I'm, I'm looking forward to mm. seeing that. And... I currently hate the U.S. national team coach because he's a German, oh, no. German tyrant, and there's some discussion about that. But soccer is great. Um, but it's certainly football season, and you know, Patriots are doing fabulously. Jesse, I know how much you love that. Yeah. And um, you know, I'm, I'm looking uh. at the rest of the year, saying you know, Peyton Manning is, is a shell of his former self. And um, you know, w- where's that loss going to come from in the regular season? I think you're looking at 14 to 0 pretty easily, and then you're going to the Jets and Dolphins trying to close out 16 to 0. So I mean, I'm, I'm expecting on. a loss to the Giants in the Super Bowl. It's well, usually how I'm, it goes talking in these about, I'm talking about regular season, my friend. And so far, it's looking pretty good. Uh, again, with Peyton Manning just looking absolutely awful. Uh, yeah, well, I'm pretty sure so. he's done for the for the year now. It looks like a well, they're trying. He's, not, saying, he's saying it, it's his foot, but he's done. He can't throw well, the ball. It's sad. He should stop. Well, I'm not so sad about it because you know we've we've been fighting the Brady versus Manning fight for a, for a generation it seems here in this town. But uh, I feel like you've won that one. But I, I, I as a Manning t- fan, I feel like you've won. I keep telling my kids you're a Manning fan. A Payne Manning fan? Oh yeah. I didn't know that. Wait, really? I'm a Giants fan, but I like Payne, I like watching Payne Manning in his prime because it was amazing. Interesting. He was good. He, he was, was good. He was amazing. As, as I remind my kids all the time, you know, when I was growing up, you know, and, and the key years were you know from the Celtics win in '86 until the Patriots win in 2001. I mean, just the worst years ever in Boston sports, and that's that was those are my years, and I can't believe the, you know, the 14 years of glory that we are now sitting in. The <laughs> Patriots, you know, whatever it is, home record over the past you know 12 years. It's astonishing that they're still so good. And, and from my perspective, you look at the quarterback and the coach, and head and shoulders above anybody else that you're going to find in the league. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very excited to see what uh, scandal comes next for you guys. Yeah, so well, good luck finding that. How about the injury report scandal for the uh, for the Colts and for uh, for Peyton there? That's pretty exciting. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I cannot say I'm a Patriots fan. Sorry, Boston. Are you a Vikings fan? Oh gosh, no. Absolutely. Yeah. She's a Packers fan. I'm a diehard Packers fan. She's a real fan. American. Did, did you happen to watch the game on Sunday? Yeah. Don't talk the to The Lions' me. first win in 24 years at Lambeau? Well, you knew followed that by the Texans since winning in Cincinnati last night? Right. Unbelievable. No, so right. when the Lions won, I did the math and I realized I was one years old uh, when they last won in my, my home state. So it, I was a little depressed. It was the and then fr- I had to yeah. watch the Patriots game and I will be honest. And the Lions tried really hard to give it away in the Packers they, they couldn't do it oh my it. gosh it was pacing it was not not good but things yeah a lot of screaming a lot well, of me, Jesse, did, did, did you see the uh, did you see the last kick in that game was it blocked or was he just shank it completely I couldn't tell all I know let's not I think he just shanked yeah. it yeah. the Lions only had 10 players on the field so and Calvin Johnson dropped the onside guy. you just I mean they didn't do it it was just a little bit of a rough Sunday and are then you, I had to watch a, the Patriots win are you a Packers shareholder are you a Packers I am not my brother and my dad are here 
I, I have a friend who's a Packers shareholder. Yeah. My dad goes to the um, every year. He goes to because Green Bay's like meeting? yeah. There's an annual shareholders meeting at Lambeau, and you can go and they'll like talk to you. I mean, there's like ten thousand people that just like file in and. Is sit there any there. benefit whatsoever to being a Packers shareholder? You get a piece of paper that says you yeah, are, which other, is like pretty cool awesome. and pretty badass. You own part of the team. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that you word. Say what? Can I say that on the? Yes, you can. Okay, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Cross the Vulgarity. It's a, it's a PG-13 word. Wait, so are you a Bucks fan, too? Are you a Milwaukee Bucks fan? No, I, so I'm really not a basketball fan. Brewers? So. No. Not even the Brewers. I would be a Red Sox fan if I was a baseball fan. Only Again, my father grew up out here in Massachusetts. So out, my out, lines out, are very out different. Out here in Massachusetts. Yeah. Out, here, like, out, out here in, <laughs> here, in here in this place that I'm sitting. <laughs> Down south here in Massachusetts. No, yeah. so I would be a Red Sox fan if I, if I talked baseball. Um, so you're a one-sport kind of girl. I just like football. All right. I really like football. Well, I got some bad news for you. It's not going to end well for the Packers this year. Let's let's move well. on. Let's talk end. about Israel sports. Because <laughs> 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 is there more than just soccer in Israel? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, finishing up on soccer. So I mean, the the, the domestic league's going great, and um, you know, Maccabi Tel Aviv, you know, both won the treble, which is the league cup, the state cup, and the Israeli championship, and then qualified for the Champions League. To much celebration, of course, promptly have now scored eleven to one in their first four games. So we're hoping for uh, at least a goal against Chelsea and uh, another goal in Kiev to, to salvage some respect from the campaign. But they're in, in second place in the league, uh, but once the European season's over, they should do pretty well. The, uh, the World Cup qualification process starts next fall for Israel. They'll probably tease us as usual and not actually qualify, and then they famously Aww. just totally blew an opportunity to qualify for the European Championships next summer. They won their first three games last year and then lost four in a row and then, and then lost at home to Cyprus. Which killed Cyprus. to Cyprus. I mean, it's like the Celtics losing to the, like a D League team, honestly. That's um, upsetting. Just blowing their chances of, of making a, 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 prime, a prime competition. So, as usual, underachievement. The coach then resigned, of course. But you know, soccer kind of you know tantalizes us and never actually delivers when yeah. it comes to the national team. I and want I want to know how many players on that Cyprus team are actually from Cyprus. I'm guessing not many. Well, I don't think it's like you know Qatar that imports their athletes from Kenya to run for them because they give them you know million dollar bonuses to change citizenship. But uh, right. but, but you know, but again, but like in Israeli basketball, they'll find American. Can use to come and play as Israelis to make sure they don't violate the roster limits on number of foreigners playing for the for the big yeah. clubs. I'm not too familiar with Israeli sports, but in terms of like professional sports leagues in Israel, so mm. we have basketball. You said um, soccer is like what other major sports well, leagues are there? Well, first of all, I, I, teams? yeah, I will say that you know women's sports are actually very well attended and, and televised in Israel. So you'll get there, women's soccer, women's basketball, women's handball, men's handball. So you can watch all these sports. Wow. handball is fascinating. Handball, I mean, handball is a huge European sport, and they played in Israel, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the major leagues that people pay attention to are basketball and uh, and and soccer. But you know, but the challenge is that again, the perennial powerhouse of Israel basketball, which is Maccabi Tel Aviv, they won. You know, four European you know championships just absolutely atrocious out of the gate. They've lost you know four games. They fired their coach, and uh, everyone's wondering what's wrong. Oh um, wow! So uh, drama. But the rise of Hapoel Yerushalayim, who who won the uh, the championship last year, is uh, something to note. So um, perhaps to play more competitive, it's great. But uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv, you know, they're the current champions um, in soccer and uh, and trying to do better in basketball. So we'll see how that goes. Nice. Good. Learning lots. Yeah. I have no idea. Well, you know, yeah. Maybe I should pay attention to American basketball sometime, too. Uh, well, yeah. listen, again, my perspective, NBA basketball isn't, isn't that much fun to watch. I'd much rather watch college basketball. Yeah. Oh, God. I college, college, college basketball, basketball is the worst. Well, I, mean, I hate college basketball. I mean, my problem watching the NBA is the refereeing is just so bad. I mean, you yeah. really, I mean, every game is, is just dictated by how bad the refs are, honestly. But college basketball is just dictated by constant passing and terrible shooting. 
And yeah, but at least it feels like it's more than, you know, it's more, it's less corporate, you know, and yeah. more kind of, you know, grassrootsy. And college basketball is kind of fun to watch only because the, the crowds are a lot more fun. Yeah. I feel like they're not as stuffy as NBA teams are. And like, I mean, I didn't go to like a big basketball school, but like we had a good basketball team, a reasonable basketball team at Minnesota. Wait a minute. You went to a big 10 school. <laughs> yeah. You, you went to, so, a huge, I mean, huge basketball program. There is, yeah, but I like. It's, fo- it's football up there. No, up yeah, there. <laughs> hockey Minnesota. is Minnesota. That's true. Um, That's but. True. No, it was fun watching the basketball games. I went to a bunch in college, and I was like, wow, this is some – I have no idea what's happening on the court. But, you know, it's a lot of fun to watch. I would say going to college basketball <laughs> was – not my forte. Going to college basketball games were fun. But, like, if you compare it to college football, like, college football is much more innovative to the to the NFL. Innovative? In, like, stra- what do you mean by that? Strategies come out of college football that the NFL oh. adopts, while – in college basketball, it is the opposite. Like, players like, have to relearn how to play the game. Once like, clever tight end formations the Patriots use in the playoffs? That came out of the college Yeah. How's that, <laughs> how's that other tight end doing? Going to jail? <laughs> I know. Oh, nothing to do with that. Patriots slam. But I will say, now, back to the question of sports, is like I, when it comes to, like, sports attendance, you know, what games do I love going to the most? Uh, and I... I, I, I I never go to football games because they take literally all day. Oh, like, it's the best. You tailgate. You go to no, the games. I don't. I don't have. I don't have whole games, whole days to give to you know driving to Foxborough and Route One <laughs> back. So I'm happy to watch football on the screen. But I love going to baseball games. And um, you know, baseball games are so long. Yeah, but it's there's a good there's a pace in the life to it which I really appreciate. But no, okay. but again, when when do I have time to go to games? The answer is never. I, I did a count. I, I went to 89, 89 youth baseball games between. April 27th and November 1st from my two baseball playing boys. So that That's was a incredible. lot. A That's lot. Of, I, I watched a lot of baseball <laughs> uh, and youth soccer and youth basketball too. But uh, baseball, I think, is uh, you know is uh, what I love watching and coaching the best. So. There you go. That's incredible. Oh, youth soccer. Well, you know, I coached that for one year and realized I'm actually not a good soccer coach at all. But baseball, I can hit balls and do drills all day, and it's a lot of fun. So, so we'll see. I was a goalie on my youth it, soccer team. Yeah. Well, because I was, I was fast. Because you, so you were very tall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How was, tall are you, Jesse? I am uh, five foot six and a half. How That's tall right. are you, Jen? I'm five ten. There we go. How, how tall are you, Dan? Six one. Uh, there we go. You can what? play basketball. <laughs> but that's, I know you had some some concerns about uh, about Grantland and uh, and ESPN. Yes, and I'm so still angry. I'm still angry. Hashtag Grantland lives. So can you tell me what Grantland is? Sure. So how long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> so Grantland was originally was okay. um, a it was a project that ESPN gave to. Uh, Bill Simmons, one of their employees, and it was designed to be a more long-form sports and pop culture website. And what what grew out of that was an amazing website of very interesting discussions on great pop culture topics, really breaking down certain kinds of uh, sports analytics and sports stories, and just not your daily people yelling at each other on TV, which mm. is what ESPN seems to do now. Yeah. And ESPN never really gave it the support I think it deserved. It was it wasn't it was never on the homepage of ESPN.com. Grandland also helped sort of popularize podcasts. For example, they had many excellent podcasts. You know, separating Grandland from Bill Simmons is very easy to me because mm. Bill Simmons was always very separate. He really stopped writing at one point, but the people he hired were just writing these great things, especially about pop culture, which right. ESPN obviously has no. They had no desire for pop culture things, and so that didn't mean anything to them. But they were, there were some great TV and movie reviewers. I mean, they right. had they stole a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, film critic from, from the, the Boston Globe, Globe. Right. yeah, yeah. Oh, who's wow. now working for the Times. It's Ty Burr, right? Uh, Wesley Morris, I think. Wesley Morris, the two of them, right? And they were just writing great. They were getting things from Charlie Pierce all yep. the time. Yep. It was a, it was sort of a oasis of, smart, interesting sports 
discussions on the internet, which is not that yeah, easy and to find. Not agenda driven. Like, yeah, not agenda driven. <laughs> it it didn't concern itself with what the next football game was that ESPN was showing. Like if Tampa Bay and um, Jacksonville were playing on Thursday, Grandland didn't care. ESPN would care because they're airing it. Grandland would be like, no, it's gonna be a terrible game. Don't watch. Right. Oh so wow. So they were they were always at conflict, and you knew a more it, freestyle. Yeah, you knew mm-hmm. it was eventually gonna explode, but. Just the fact that ESPN just one day shut it down it was just insulting. There's a lot of morning sports fans out yes, there. Yes, it was. It was. It was just insulting to people who like to think about their sports and not just have people yell. I'm looking at you, Stephen Smith. Yeah, among others. Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really can't watch ESPN. I mean, no, I actually I watch stopped. Fox Sports in the morning as opposed to, um, you know, Sports Center because you know CSN doesn't have their the Mohegans on in the morning anymore. No, so. I, I find fo- <laughs> I find Fox Sports one to be like. Like '90s ESPN was exactly it's much more that, open, that it's kind very of way. Free. They just you know, taking itself yeah. a little less seriously, you know. I mean, definitely. ESPN became a huge company. It was bought by ABC, which was then bought by Disney, Disney. and so it's it's now part of a huge corporation that right. I understand has to earn money. And yeah. ESPN's expensive to run, right? And they're making less money because of cable subscriptions, and that's kind of that's honestly their fault that they kept raising the price of their subscriptions. And we're right. not going to go into how. Cable subscriptions well, work. Death of but, cable is certainly a story to tell, also. Yes. Yeah, but Noah Steinhardt told me. You know, I'm, I'm a part of that problem. I don't have cable. I don't have cable either. Spinning it off. Well, well, I go. don't have cable. <laughs> well, uh, you know, Noah Steinhardt, as you know, Jesse told us that uh, ESPN's like a big bank now. And it's true. There's Got no it. personality, you know, just you know, questionable questionable practices. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, they, it's a shame. Yeah, they're aiming for the lowest common denominator, and that's the exact opposite of what Grantland was doing. Yeah, so. it's like, I mean, cause, I mean, me and Bill Simmons go back to, again to the late 90s, and he was writing for Digital City Boston, like way before he was a sports guy, yeah. you know, and it was a. Uh, the no, Bostonian. Yeah, he, his, he's a and he, huge I mean, he, he was like a he created the whole genre in and of himself, which is incredible. So, uh, okay. looking forward to seeing his new creative endeavors. Yeah, and, got it. Uh, I mean, he, he did just launch his own sort of podcast network with yeah. some of the Grantland people, so yeah. I'm very nice. excited about that for sure. Um, so, Dan, you're from Boston, is that true? Belmont, Massachusetts, absolutely. There you go. So, born and raised a Boston sports fan and everything like that. Purely New England, never want to leave. Never want to leave. Wanna That's wanna good leave. to hear. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, it was fun talking sports, but maybe we should talk a little bit more on um, some of the stuff happening in Jewish education and this next generation of Jewish life. If we must. If we if must. If we must, right. I think it's pretty interesting. So um, a couple months ago, or a couple years ago, there was a Pew study that was done, right, yeah. um, called The Portrait of Jewish Americans. And um, there was a recent article in Jew- E-Jewish Philanthropy that just came out again. When was that? I was like two weeks ago, two, two weeks three weeks ago. ago. So if anyone hasn't read Egypt's philanthropy, there's just it's like a daily subscription and you can go online and get these emails about what's happening in the Jewish world and the Jewish world in the Jewish nonprofit world and kind of trends happening across and do you wanna tell us a little bit about Listen, you, you couldn't miss it. Everybody was, you know, tweeting about it and, and posting it. So, you know, we, we've all read it. I mean, the Pew Report in and of itself was a fascinating study, and uh, I'm not going to say an indictment, but sort of a call to awareness of all the mm-hmm. trends that which I think we've been uh, anecdotally noticing but not really understanding. So, um, you know, a fascinating piece. And, again, like we're talking about the future of, of Jewish civilization in America. I'm not saying religion. I'm saying Jewish civilization because, you know, Religious practice and identity identification is certainly changing, um, you know, particularly among your generation, Jen, right. is, you know, a decade behind us. Um, you know, but the trends of, you know, people getting married, married later, having fewer kids, um, un- not affiliating, and it's a fundamental challenge to planners and educators saying, you know, where's the passion for what we had when we were kids, right? Um, right. Which, is, uh, which is certainly changing. And I think, you know, not to indict, you know, but we're, we're existing, you know, this generation of Jewish adults is, is the most assimilated 
least educated generation of American Jewish adults that we've ever had in this country. And then how do we respond to that? Right. Not in a way which is saying, you know, the sky is falling, but like, hey, like this is a new opportunity for us to include and welcome and teach and engage teens in a way which isn't based on a 1950s model, which is what we were stuck in right. until I think about, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. So what was kind of the initial reaction of like the this Pew study or this recent article in A Jewish Philanthropy? There was kind of like a sound the alarms kind of reaction to it or I felt its tone was the tone that has sort of been around since the 50s which is a the sky is falling you know the end is near we have to fix this now Judaism is dying yeah doom is coming and I feel like one that is not that is not the tone people would want to buy into who is going to want to save a Judaism that's constantly thinking that the sky is falling and that it's all coming to an end and it, it was called, you know, a call to action. And all of their action points were things people have been talking about for 30 years. Mm. Like, none of it was new. And it was not very inclusive. And it was very, like, let's use the things we already have and do them better. That's not... When, when something is not working, you have to admit it's not working and then start from there. Mm-hmm. If, if the synagogue model isn't working, okay, what could work? Like, look around. Someone has figured it out somewhere. Like, there's some community out there that is succeeding. What are they doing? Stop trying to fix things that haven't worked and, you know, think about... Think about what is new and interesting that would bring people back. Like, talk to people who are in their 30s and 20s and find out what they're interested in, what what parts of Judaism, you know, bring them in. And where they want to connect. And And where they want to connect. Because I would say the three of us here are, we are Jews. We are active Jews. Yes, we do identify as Jewish. I I know know at least two of us are not members of a temple or synagogue. I don't know about you, Dan, but... It's complicated. Yeah, it's complicated, and and that's a problem. I think technically I'm still a member of my parents' congregation, technically. Have I been in years? No, because I don't live there. I think think they would count you. That's what I think they would do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think the idea of trying to count how many families and people are members of temples and synagogues is not exactly... The number we should be looking for. Well, it's one way to count Jews. I mean, if you go back 15 years, the sociologists were saying, let's measure Judaism by, you know, Shabbat candles and Passover seders and Hanukkah candles, right? And that's great. Okay, but no, that isn't including, you know, people that listen to a Jewish podcast or right. go to a Jewish film. And listen, people will say that isn't authentic. Well, to those Jews, it probably feels very authentic. Yeah. Um, you know, but no, my, my particular extra grind with most of these studies and calls to action is just is just the, the continued, you know, um, it's not a canard, but it's sort of this assumption that you know, all intermarriage is, is bad and this is net, it's going to you know, kill all the Jewish people. And I certainly don't feel that way. And um, you know, changing the language about intermarriage is an opportunity as opposed to a, as a root cause that the problem has to be done. And you know, recent research has come out which has said that, you know, that in this generation of millennial intermarried families, um, the students or the kids are more likely to be doing Jewish things than they were in the 70s. Like, that's great, you know. So right. um, you know, this guy isn't falling. Um, for those, you know, that are convinced that it is, well, then this is going to validate their assumptions. But, you know, we can operate under the assumption that there isn't a Jewish future. The question is, how do we all, all play a role in that? And I think some of, the, some of the recommendations I strongly believe in, and I think, you know, from my side, there's nothing more impactful than a Jewish person's life than going to Israel. I mean, nothing. Um, it is way more impactful than the bar mitzvah. It mm-hmm. is way more impactful than any kind of volunteering. So I strongly encourage Israel travel and expanded Israel subsidized trips for teens. Right, because then uh, they get to touch and feel and see for the firsthand you know, what that you know, experience is Because for me, like. I mean, nothing was more transformational to me than, than, than reading about and connecting to and going to Israel and certainly see where mm-hmm. he's gotten me. So I think that as a pillar strategy, that's really, really important. And again, I mean, as you, as you recognize, Jesse, some of these recommendations are old ones. Like, of course, we should be encouraging families to make, you know, Jewish choices. But the challenge becomes we're encouraging them to make really expensive Jewish choices. Yes. So again, if the ideal is a camp going 
Israel, Israel going, day school going, synagogue affiliated teen, um, that family is probably spending about $120,000 on Judaism, which I mean, for most folks is inaccessible, no matter how much you subsidize it, even if it's 60, it's inaccessible. So, right. you know, the, the economy of Jewish life is such that it is inherently expensive. And we all have to make choices about what parts we want to subscribe to. Is it kosher meat? Is it day school? Is it Israel? Is it, uh, is it uh, you know, a family Israel trip as opposed to a camp Israel trip? Who knows? But I think from our perspective, all that we want to be saying is make your Jewish choices however you want to. we got to support you. Right. And let's, let's stop excluding people that we think don't belong. Uh, I'd also say that American Jews in general have yet to sort of completely embrace the fact that living in America, like part of this was going to happen naturally when you're not stuck together in a ghetto in Eastern Europe. America gives people freedoms to do whatever they want. And some of those choices are not going to be Jewish choices. And that's something we should embrace, not fight against. That we can't be like, no, we all have to live back together. We all have to know each other. We all have to live in the same neighborhood. Like that's, we have to sort of get out of the the mindset of, yeah, and yeah. I would say it's also worth noting, Jesse, that you know all the all the studies say not only is Judaism changing, but a religion in America is yes. changing. And you look at all the data, uh, absent the sort of the fundamentalists and the evangelicals, everyone sees decreased worship to attendance, decreased religious education. Sunday schools in the Christian world are down fifty percent in the last fifteen years. There's yeah. an article in USA Today it's about not it. So just us. You know, religion <laughs> in America changes, and America's changing. So you know how how does Judaism fit in, right? Um, and I think, you know, we, we got to keep talking about solutions and programs for that, for that challenge in that moment, which says that we're going to present to consumers, because right now the Jewish person's a consumer and doesn't feel the compulsion to participate. You know, what's in it for me? What's in it for my time and my investment, right? Because there's less time available and probably less money available to us as, as providers than there was a generation ago. Yeah, definitely. What, um, I guess for you personally, Dan, like what brought you into this world of Jewish education and what made you so passionate about this Jewish community? Did you... Is that a tough question? No, I'm sorry. It's, 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 I mean, <laughs> like you've been um, at Prozor Hebrew College for 14, 14 years? 14 years, right. So what kind of what lights so, your fire? So, so the true story, which I've told before, is so after Brandeis, I went to, to Israel for a year on a volunteer, mm-hmm. you know, year teaching English and kind of screwing around. Um, you know, then I came back and, um, you know, I actually had three interviews in the same day. I interviewed at, at Brookline Bank to be an entry-level, like, mortgage underwriter. I interviewed at a law firm. In, uh, in Newton to be a paralegal, and I interviewed at the Rashi School to be an assistant teacher. So you can guess which, which job chose. I got. So, I mean, if I got the paralegal job, maybe I would have been a lawyer and sitting in a very different seat. Um, you know, but if you, if you rewind the clock in another, another 10 years, and if you trace my, you know, you know, my youth and my involvement, uh, you know, both with synagogue life and youth group and camping, um, you know, I definitely got a good training and I would say, a baseline late 90s or late 80s conservative Judaism, which I really felt personally. And I think Israel kind of galvanized me to say I love it. Um, and, you know, craving those kind of Jewish connections and having, you know, successful social experiences in those contexts was important to me. And, um, you know, I, I still love just meeting, meeting Jews and talking to kids and teaching them about Israel and, and, and doing cool things with them. And that's kind of what I'm doing now, which is still pretty fun. Well, I'm also, you know, you know writing for Jesse and, uh, and raising my kids and volunteering in town. So Just um, a few things on your plate. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all, <laughs> as I said, I'd rather be busy than bored. Yeah, um, definitely. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, the, my family upbringing and, uh, and what I did as a kid, um, absolutely led me to you know to what I'm doing now, and no regrets. Like I'm only 37; I got 30 years left to do other things if I want to. Right. Um, but I enjoyed this challenge of of, uh, of figuring out how to make Judaism relevant, you know, for the world and for Boston, and you know, even for my own family, because uh, you know we're doing everything at once. Mm-hmm, definitely. Did you have a pretty traditional um, 
Hebrew school upbringing when you were like Wednesday or Monday, Wednesdays at yeah, Hebrew yeah. school? Two yeah, two days whatever. a week, three days a week, Hebrew high, you know, before the days of prose doors. So, so for sure, you know, plus I went to camp in the summer. But, um, there you go. You know, Which just, camp did you go to? I went to Camp Ramon Palmer Mass for uh, 14 years. Wow. So good stuff. Incredible. Lifelong friends, great experiences. That's awesome. Do your children attend there now? Uh, they do no. not. Oh, okay. They do not. We talk about Jewish camping a lot here. Camping is um, great, you know. But yeah. again, I mean, uh, you know, as someone that works really hard during the year, I can't imagine like not hanging out with my kids when I have in the, the opportunity. Summer, yeah. but of course, I also feel the tension of like, but I didn't. It was so important to me. No, it's a difficult balance. So, what do you uh, choose? No, but pl- they're plugging in elsewhere in the Jewish community. So you've I imagine they're connecting that. just fine. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, with family life and the things that we emphasize, and the fact that two of them have been to Israel, and uh, they can certainly That's incredible. they certainly see the things I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. You know, as parents can certainly you know see that their kids definitely pick up on things even when you don't think that they are. Yeah. Um, so it's great to have my son coming with me on Sundays and learning Hebrew and learning about Judaism at Prose Door, which is wonderful, and that he's been to Israel and feels it deeply. is uh, I'll call that a success. That is it, a big success. So I think, you know, from my perspective, you know, let's get everyone to Israel. Despite its challenges, it's not perfect, but like that, that is so helpful to identity development when so other things are not so helpful. So yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of that kind of action. Yeah. Well, so, thank you so much. Yeah. So there's a lot going on in the Jewish education world. There's a lot happening with sports in Israel and here in the States. Um, so there's just a lot happening. So we're really thankful. A lot thankful. happening at CJP and Jewish Bar. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot happening in this room. Um, so. Sports, 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 <laughs> sports, sports, sports. All right. A new song? Yes. Uh, so thank you so much for being here with us today, Dan. We'll wrap up. Yeah. Okay. The awkward wrap-up part. I know. Well, I have to so go. You're the wrap-up. You want to say goodbye, Dan? Oh. Uh, goodbye. Thanks for having me. Follow my uh, blog on sports and Judaism and ramblings on jewishboston.com backslash dan and uh, follow me on Twitter for all my tweets about things I'm writing about in other contexts. You are you are a fun follow on Twitter. I will say that. Oh, so. that's a, that's really. I, I really like, need to get a Twitter. We do the Twitter. The Twitter. We refer to it as the Twitter on this podcast. So. The Twitter. So get on the Twitter. And I will <laughs> see you there. So we just want to thank Dan Brasco for talking with us today. That was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Dan. I enjoyed it. And please, uh, if you're still listening, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. We are also on Stitcher. We are also on SoundCloud. But iTunes is the main place. So please subscribe there. You, you, all you have to do is search JewishBoston.com. And uh, I'm still we, we are still waiting for our first email at podcast.jewishboston.com. We've gotten a lot of feedback through other channels, but not one email. Um, email us. We love email. The, the first person who emails us, I will read it aloud if it's good. If it's on good. the air. <laughs> a disclaimer there. Yes. Yes, if it's good. If it's hateful, I will not read it. Well, I might. But and we want to th- thank Sean Fogel for, you know, uh, making the music of this podcast. It's it's great stuff. I love it. Yep. It's my theme song in life now. So thank you, Sean. And thank you to Jewish Boston and CJP for supporting this fun endeavor. Yes. Have a great day. Bye-bye now. Adios. Adios. <laughs>